Today's swapper number is 7,730. That's the number of pilots projected to be hired at just the big four airlines in 2022. The competition for qualified and experienced aviators is just starting to heat up. So on today's show, we're going to talk to a couple of regular podcast guests, EFA Committee Chair Eric Snitzler and member Damien Jeanette. They're going to give us an industry update heading into earnings, tell us about some recent developments with other airline contracts, and explain what those could mean to our pilots in the coming months. I'm Kurt Heidemann. And I'm Amy Robinson. And here's our interview with Eric and Damien. this podcast by talking a little bit about the state of the industry. Explain what's been going on with Spirit, Frontier, JetBlue. Um, what's that current status as of today? Yeah, so the uh, saga all began back in February when Frontier made an offer for Spirit, uh, combining uh, the combination of those two would make the largest ULCC in the country. Interestingly, JetBlue stepped in a month later with an offer of their own. And since then, it's been a back and forth affair with uh, each each uh, airline throwing out competing offers. The uh, latest uh, development is that on July 8th, which is Friday, there will be a vote by the Spirit shareholders, and that vote has already been delayed twice. There will be the vote to decide whether to accept the Frontier offer. Uh, certainly JetBlue has been very aggressive uh, with, with uh, their latest uh, enhancements to their offer, and it will be interesting to see what happens, because even if the Spirit shareholders vote it down, uh, Frontier will have some time to actually make another offer to enhance their offer. So uh, it, it's going to be very interesting to see over the next couple of weeks. And the uh, story is certainly not uh, completely over by any means. So Eric, why are they in this uh, bidding war for Spirit? What's changed now from a year or two or three ago? Uh, what do both sides have to gain or lose if they win or lose this? Well, ostensibly, uh, JetBlue is looking to add, uh, you know, some more market share in different parts of the country. They've also talked about the fact that this would help them to increase staffing, certainly pilots, and it would make them quite a bit stronger in Florida, in Las Vegas, in Los Angeles, different parts. As you know, their main hubs are, uh, are focus cities are Boston and JFK. So this would certainly make them quite powerful down in Florida, this combination. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the, ULC, the uh, combination of Frontier and Spirit uh, makes them the largest ULCC. Either combination will make uh, the fifth largest airline in the country. So certainly uh, for us, if uh, we're looking at it from a Southwest point of view, you have, uh, uh, as you know, we have decent sized operations in Orlando and in Fort Lauderdale, the combination of a JetBlue and Spirit would make them the largest carrier in Fort Lauderdale, the largest carrier in Orlando, and the largest carrier throughout the whole Caribbean. So it's something I, I think Southwest definitely needs to uh, watch. They would also become the number two carrier in Las Vegas. Do you think that Southwest will have a response to that? What would we, what would we expect the response to be? Well, I think we're gonna wait uh, sit back and see what happens. I mean, there's still several hurdles. It has to get regulatory approval. And that's one of the arguments uh, that Spirit has been making. 
against combining with JetBlue is that they believe, Spirit Management believes it would be uh, much harder to gain regulatory approval uh, with JetBlue. There's also the issue of the Northeast Alliance with American Airlines. JetBlue says they would not have to give that up. Um, so there's some question there as well. So really, I think Southwest will sit back and, and kind of see where this all plays out over the next few months. Uh, and the Northeast Alliance, there's actually a, a court case, a trial in September to see if that's even to be approved. So there's still a lot of uh, so-called balls in the air with this, with this uh, merger and you know, surrounding these three airlines. So I, I think Southwest takes a wait and see approach. Uh, at least uh, that, that's what we're hearing uh, from the company. So Eric, moving on from, uh, from that side of the industry, a uh, recent development that we've had is uh, United Airlines and Alpa reached an, a tentative agreement. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure, that's, it's currently out for a vote right now. They have a, a tentative agreement. It offers uh, a 14.5% pay increase, um, some other enhancements, uh, market-based cash balance plan, and, and uh, a few other enhancements. What we are hearing is that it has not, um, the pilots there are not especially happy with the agreement. They, uh, uh, our sources tell us that they're, they're not happy with the pay increase. They don't believe that it's commensurate with the rate of inflation. Uh, there are a few scope issues that have been mentioned. Uh, the weight limit is being increased in their CRJ 550s, the 50-seat aircraft that they've reconfigured for business travel. Um, there's also an issue with the instructor scope. Apparently, uh, they are going to be allowed to hire uh, retired pilots not on the seniority list to train uh, pilots there in their training center in Denver. We're hearing that that is a potential issue, and we're hearing that some of the reserve changes are not especially liked either. So while there are apparently there are some enhancements besides pay, um, the early feeling that we are that we are seeing is that um, it's not maybe not up to what their expectations were. Eric, you mentioned as far as scope in the uh, in the training center and instructors not being on the seniority list. That's that's not how we do it here at Southwest, right? So that is that a is that standard for them? It's just they have never. It's actually uh, from what we have been told. That's the first time this has ever been proposed. They have always had pilots on the seniority list doing training there at their training center. And that's pretty industry standard, right? That happens pretty much most for the most part. Yes. So, uh, so yes, it is. It is. We have a different setup here for sure. Um, but yes, that is that is the case, and and definitely an eye opener. Uh, for the pilots there at United uh, with this with this new proposal. Okay, so you said that the, it was out for a, uh, that they had a tentative agreement, but where are they sort of in the process now or in the middle of a vote? Where are they at this point in time? Yes, yeah, so they're in the middle of a vote. It closes on July 15th. Interestingly, that is, uh, I believe, three days before they are to report earnings for the second quarter. So uh, we found the timing interesting. Uh, on, the, on, that, um, on that front, but it's going to be very interesting to see how this vote plays out because, again, based on what we've read and people we've talked to, right now the sentiment for that is fairly negative. I, th I think it's safe to say. But we, we did hear from the, the uh, ALPA United that they can, they, the MEC elected to continue on with the vote and to finish the road shows. So uh, at first we thought they were actually going to pull the deal off the table originally, but like uh, Eric said, they're going to allow it to go to July 15th uh, to close out the vote. Yeah, that's that's right. They just agreed to allow the vote to continue just the other day. 
Damien, I know some of the turbulence in their decision to send it out to a vote or not was impacted by the American Airlines uh, leak. Can you explain what the company put out or, or what was in that deal? Yeah, it was very interesting. So this is uh, definitely one of those, I'm not going to say it's an industry first, but it's one of the first times that you've you've seen uh, negotiating in public because American management released a uh, company proposal uh, out into the general public and uh, for everybody to see. And that's why we thought the deal was actually going to die by United MEC um, because it did have a, a lot of a lot of value in it. Uh, new increases to the APA side of the house uh, that should impact the United side, like life insurance and all kinds of obviously pay. But when uh, when the MEC decided not to pull it off, we we were a little surprised by it. But yeah, they released it out to the public and uh, um, never really seen that before. To piggyback on what Dam- Damien is saying, uh, just some of their highlights: uh, they offered a sixteen percent raise, uh, which was about a percent and a half higher than. United's, uh, they did offer a market-based cash balance plan. And one of the more interesting uh, pieces was the profit-sharing parity with Delta. As I think many of us know, Delta's profit-sharing plan is the most generous in the industry for the pilots, and American did offer their pilots parity with Delta's plan. And another uh, high point was their uh, LTD payments are now pensionable and uh, eligible for NEC. So one question that I would have, Damien, you did say that they sort of negotiated in public, and that is that is very different than anything that we've seen in the industry in the past. So my question to you is, what does that mean for Southwest? Like, if Southwest released a deal, what? How, how does that impact us? Um, well, I'd say the American United has slightly different motives because the uh, management at American just wanted to show the rest of the pilot group, at least in my mind, that they were being reasonable. Because if you do a price comparison between the 737-800 rates, there's only eight cents different in 2022 and 2023, right? If you're looking at the, the 800 specific. Uh, eight, you know, eight cents difference is, is not a huge uh, uh, huge amount. But one one is valued at about, the United deal is about one and a half billion. And the American deal is uh, just under about two billion, at least that's per our calculations. If Southwest did it, well, first of all, they haven't even given us any pay rates. So uh, I don't think they could because <laughs> there's no pay increases at all. But uh, if they actually do that, then, uh, you know, they, they, they could, but I, I don't think it's wise. So, Damien, I guess my, my real question is, like, if Southwest decided to come in somewhere in the middle between between American and United and, and dropped a number in between and, and let that out to the pilots, what would be our response to that? Well, I don't think it's good because the first thing I'll say is the American deal, management released it and trying to change the sentiment of of the pilot group and or to show that the United deal and their deal is reasonable, right? And and first thing I'd say is it's just a proposal. It's not a TA. Like United is a TA. It's an agreed upon, you know, in principle deal where the American one that's a leaked uh, memo, if you will, it was just a proposal. If it happened to Southwest, if it happened to us, I mean, SWAPA is the bargaining agent, you know, for the pilots. The, the pilots trust SWAPA, right? The pilots trust the NC, and I, that's just not good faith, in, in my opinion. But the other part of that, like I said, it's a proposal. The devil are in the details, right? All of them are just concepts. 
And so there's a lot of things that are still hidden because it's just a proposal. So I, I would think it's a, a horrible idea if Southwest did that. And then on top of that, Eric, uh, UPS got a TA very recently as well. Tell I know they're not the big four and we don't necessarily line up against them uh, when we do industry comparisons, but, but they have a big impact uh, on pilot rates and everything. Tell us about that. Yes, they do. Uh, even though, again, as you mentioned, uh, we are not directly comparing ourselves with freight carriers. I think is in the big picture, we have to be aware of everybody at our level, freight and passenger carriers, and where their contracts stand. So their, uh, their deal was a, a two-year deal, um, and we have not seen a whole lot of details other than the pay rates, and we know they got some A-fund improvements, as, as many people know. Uh, FedEx and UPS both still have defined benefit plans, so they were able to get some improvements there. Their pay improvements are fairly significant in that by the end of 2025, there'll be over $400 an hour, and they have a, a single pay rate for the whole fleet. So meaning 757, 767, 747 all get paid the same rate. And just to follow up with what Eric's saying, so just remember the UPS had a two-year extension back in 2020. This is a secondary extension, if you will. And FedEx is still open, and they just had a, a very large informational picket in, in Memphis, I believe. And so um, I believe that's still out for a vote. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, concern in the industry just, just in between those two, UPS and FedEx, because of technically an open uh, contract negotiations. And I would add also that one interesting fact that we got from some UPS pilots on this is that they believe, and again, this is just coming from line pilots that we've spoken with, they believe that the company may be trying to get ahead of this with the pilots and get an extension going because next year they have looming negotiations with the, the IBT, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and apparently their contract is amendable in early 2023, and they want to, they're possibly looking at something, maybe some sort of a labor action, so they would like to get the pilots locked in for a couple years so they can get through their big negotiations with their drivers. So we've mentioned a couple of the, the bigger carriers. We've talked about um, some of the lower cost carriers. Um, but one of the things that I think keeps coming up pretty regularly are the numbers that are coming out of the regionals. Um, and those are pretty significant gains for the pilots of the regionals. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think uh, most everyone's seen the news over the last couple of weeks where Americans wholly owned carriers, uh, Envoy, Piedmont, PSA, uh, came out uh, unannounced basically and just uh, raised their starting salary to $90 an hour for a first officer on the regional jets and first year captain pay all the way up to $146 an hour. And probably the most eye-popping number we've heard is in conduction of their duties, Czech airmen would be paid $427 an hour. Just in incredible numbers. Obviously, this is a huge battle to retain pilots, to attract pilots into the industry and to retain them. Uh, this deal goes for two years, and then it would uh, go back down to 5% above whatever the highest regional pay is at that time. So it's a, a short-term fix to try to attract and retain aviators. And I might add also that Mesa Airlines just turned down their contract. The pilots 68% no vote for Mesa Airlines proposed contract, and that was just about a week ago. Uh, and they were only offering uh, around uh, 60 50 dollars an hour 48 dollars an hour to start as an rj first officer and then uh, a little over 120 dollars an hour 
for a uh, for top of scale captain. So you can see the difference there is gigantic between uh, you know what Mace is offering and what uh, the American wholly owned regional carriers have been able to offer. So a question some of the listeners might have when they're listening to this is, is we're talking about regionals. We're not comparing ourselves to them, though, are we? We're not saying that we need to have them as an industry comparison. No, absolutely not. What, what we are doing, though, is watching them carefully because this all plays into the pilot supply demand uh, situation that we find ourselves in now. I mean, you, you can consider them kind of the canary in the coal mine because we, we are uh, it's important to see how this all plays out. You know, will they be able to attract and retain pilots? And, you know, do we find ourselves in a situation, obviously, if they're offering over $400 an hour for Czech airmen, since Czech airmen are highly desirable by all of us majors to hire, um, then, you know, there, there's a, certainly a retention problem. So we, we have to watch this. And as a matter of fact, uh, the EFA committee is commissioning a study right now, doing a deep dive on, uh, we, we have a good idea of the demand side, but what we are looking uh, closely into is the supply side and how this plays out over the next uh, two to four or five years and, and kind of where we find ourselves because, I um, mean, it all goes back to having a competitive contract on our side for Southwest because we need to retain and we need to attract aviators as well. Wouldn't you say that it's actually more important that we have a stronger, more competitive contract because we don't really have the feeder carriers like American does and some of the others? And I know we have a little bit of a sort of, you know, destination 225, but it's not necessarily the kind of feed that you would get from another carrier. Yeah, I I would agree. It's absolutely important because, of course, if you're hired, you know, at one of the wholly owned at American, you get a seniority number. So in in theory, they can flow up to American, uh, you know, when their number is called. And, and of course, as you mentioned, we don't have that. So all the more importance to offer a competitive contract. So let's shift gears and talk a little bit about upcoming earnings. Or I think we're only a couple of weeks away from that. So what can we expect from the industry uh, when they report earnings for this quarter? Well, I think the industry itself, we're looking at record second quarter revenues. Without question, we've all been experiencing that. Everybody out flying and traveling, we know what's going on. Airports are packed, planes are packed. Um, It's going to be a record-breaking quarter, we think, on the revenue side. I guess the next question is how Southwest expected to stack up in the earnings. Um, We're going to have a record quarter just like uh, the other carriers. And interestingly, that will be on less capacity, 7% less capacity than we had in the second quarter of 2019. Yeah, the, the last earnings update was uh, between 12 and 15% uh, for the second quarter versus 2019. Uh, that would put us about $6.7 billion, which is phenomenal. Actually, that would be the best uh, quarter, like, like Eric said, the best quarter we've ever had. Q2 is always our, our best quarter historically, but that's going to be the best that, that you know, the last time we had uh, anything that close was 5.9 uh, in 2019. And the company is still going ahead. Uh, everything that we've heard, we're still uh, determined to add 140 net aircraft by the end of 2023. If you look at our order books and subtract the amount of expected retirements, so there's growth there. Uh, the plans are still to repair the network uh, by the end of 2023. Uh, we've heard Andrew Watterson uh, speak of this several times. Uh, you know, our, our markets are, new markets are working well. Um, I, I just took a look at our schedule and it looks like we peak for this year 
in mid-October at uh, just over 4,000, 4,032 flights a day. And interestingly, another interesting fact is taking a look at our schedule. Typically, as most of us know, we tend to start drawing down a bit as we into the August-September time frame. And actually, in August, our available seat miles are going to be up 2.3% uh, as compared to August of 2019. So things look pretty good. Uh, you know, we have obviously record load factors, as Damien mentioned, record revenues. Earnings should be good. Uh, it's full speed ahead as of right now. So when would we expect uh, them to start dividends and share buybacks? Um, ex I, we expect dividends probably in the fourth quarter. And Damien, what do you think? Sometime in 2023 for share buybacks? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. At least what we've heard from uh, talking to management at different meetings. We've talked a lot about these sort of changes in the industry in terms of negotiations. What does it mean for, for SWAPA in our negotiations? Well, I mean, overall, it's not a big deal um, because you, you you have a 14% pay increase on like American, which on a revenue side of the house are going to be okay, but they're still loaded with debt, which they're going to have a hard time paying all that back because they're a net debt, right? They have more debt than they do cash. We're uh, we're net cash. We have plenty of cash around. They can start spending that on um, paying debt back and uh, on capital projects. But the other thing would be the human capital side, which would be the uh, attract and retain the HR side of the house, which you know would fall under us in negotiations, and and uh, they can definitely spend that money. And for either of you, I don't know, uh, is the, a recession a, a big concern for Swap at this point? I think we're watching it very closely. Certainly, we've heard plenty of talk in the media about how uh, a recession is almost a guarantee. At least that's the way it's uh, talked about. But um, we have to operate in the environment we're in now. And the environment we're in now is quite healthy for the airlines. And in any case, as uh, President Casey Murray has always said, our contract will be designed to work and has always been designed to work in good and in bad times. I mean, our productivity, our efficiency, that's what's always been a leader. And we intend to keep it that way to keep us healthy in whichever economic environment we find ourselves in. So I guess my big question is, is Southwest trying to delay negotiations like indefinitely so that eventually we do end up in a recession? Damien? That's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, Kurt's in the room, too. So you want to answer this one? The NC, we talk about this all the time. We don't know why they're delaying. We don't know why they delayed for the first year uh, that they had our proposal. I mean, yeah, we had COVID, but why that was a delay. And then when we got started, there were delays. And it just uh, doesn't make sense to us. So to say that they're delaying for a recession sounds like a strategic plan. And I, I'm not convinced that they actually have that. So uh, I don't think so is the short answer. So I guess the follow-on to that is, do you think any of the messages that the negotiating committee has been taking to labor relations, uh, talking about competing for talent, industry news, that kind of thing, do you do you think it's getting through? Are, are there any real changes in the room that are, are making a difference based on you know we've had pickets, we've you know we've we've talked about the thousand people you know on the on the line, is any of this sort of resonating with them? I, I would say a little, but not as much as we would like. Because they, they believe in their heart of hearts that everyone wants to come here, you know, kind of like in the book Nuts, just everybody wants to be at Southwest. And from a pilot's perspective, that's not true. That's not true these days because, you know, pilot hiring is really a word of mouth program. 
And, uh, you know, your one pilot tells another that tells his friends and that friend and so forth, so on. And um, we try to convey that message to them. But, you know, they, they just think this is the uh, cream of the crop and everyone wants to be here. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to what Damien said. I think they're starting to get the idea in the room. But even uh, at the higher levels, there's still this uh, misunderstanding of pilot motivations. When Bob Jordan and his team came over to Swapa to talk to our BOD back in May, uh, this question, exact question came up to, to them. And uh, it was Mike Vandeven that started listing off, uh, yeah, I think that this is really a desirable job and these are all the reasons. But the one that really stood out to me was he said, and, and we have a, a terrific balance sheet. And I thought to myself, I was sitting in the back of the room, I thought, that's not, that's not what pilots look at. We don't look at the balance sheet to decide where we come. Uh, we look at pay, we look at benefits, we look at schedule, we look at productivity, we look at the ways that we can earn and provide for our families. And uh, I, I just don't think that they, they realize that all of those things aren't what they were back many years ago. And the, the Southwest experience, the pilot experience out on the line is just uh, not what it used to be. And so I think they're relying on the fact that they've had 20 years now where Southwest was the place to come and they didn't have to really compete. But uh, things are changing now across the industry, and, and I, I hope that they, they get the message sooner than later. Thank you to Eric and Damien for giving us the industry update and to Kurt for sort of giving us the flavor of what it's like in the room for the NC. It does sound like the impact of the pilot shortage is really starting to be felt across the industry. Please remember that if you have any feedback for us at all, drop us a line at com at swapa.org. We really do want to hear from you. Finally, today's bonus number is 5,526. That's the number of pilots hired at the top 12 airlines already this year. We're on pace to reach an all-time industry high with years of strong hiring to come. Southwest Airlines will be in a fight for recruiting talent, and it's imperative that it has an industry-leading pilot contract in order to compete. Southwest 1732, Denver Tower, runway 35 right, clear to land, wind 270 at 5. Clear to land, 35 right, Southwest 1732.